Amen. Uh, can you guys hear me okay? Awesome. Uh, I will note, uh, we live upstairs and my mother-in-law lives downstairs and she's out of town. So I'm in her space. And uh, I was telling some guys earlier, uh, unfortunately, there's a grandfather clock that goes off every 15 minutes that I hadn't anticipated. So if you hear the chimes of a grandfather clock while I'm teaching, we'll just push through it. Um, you know, last week we talked about how God calls each of us. And a lot of times when we, when we focus on God's call to us, what, what we do is we think about the future. We think about what is he calling us to. But, but as we looked at Abram last week, what we, what we discovered is really that, that while that is a blessing, there's also a blessing in the calling. That the call is actually a blessing insofar that we can trust him and um, we can believe him and, and he's near to us, that he will keep his promises. Um, and, and this week, I want us to look at this idea of God's covenant from Genesis chapter 15. Uh, in your worship guide there, you'll see those first six verses that we'll read in a moment. Now, kiddos, this is uh, one of my last weeks. I guess, yeah, this is my last week with you this time anyway. I hope to be with you again in person. Um, but here's what I want you to know. I want you to know three things, okay? That he is God, right? That God is God, that he loves us so much. That he is God, that he loves us, number, number three, so much. And if we can begin to understand this, then what we're understanding is this big word that you're going to hear me say a bunch today, covenant. This relationship, this promise that, that God's made to us. That, that he is God and he loves us so much. And here's what this does. That gives us hope. Just like the name of your church. It gives us hope. It gives us something that, that we know God's going to do. Uh, and so one of the things I love thinking about sometimes is knowing that God one day is going to make all things new. Uh, and so if you want to, uh, you could maybe draw a picture of uh, the banquet feast that we will have one day, the big party that we'll have in heaven. Maybe you'll draw a plate and you'll draw the things that you think we'll eat. Or maybe you'll draw a, you know, a, a, big, um, a big room with, filled with people from every tribe and tongue and nation. Or maybe you can just talk about that later today uh, with the people that you live with, the people that you'll be around. Um, today, we're going to understand from Genesis 15 that he is God and that we are not him. Uh, here's the word of the Lord from Genesis chapter 15. Uh, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven, number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord. And, it, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Let me pray. Uh, Lord, we pray over these next few minutes that you would help us to understand your word. God, and not just understand it for, for our knowledge, Father, but that it would seep deep into our heart, into our mind, 
God, that it would change then how we live. Father, thank you for giving us hope. Thank you for establishing and upholding covenant with us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. He is God and I am not. You know, as a parent, uh, what I've discovered is that I am a parent and my kids most certainly are not. Right? They don't always understand. Kids, do you always understand why mom and dad do what they do? Sometimes it doesn't seem fair. Sometimes it, it doesn't seem uh, like it's the right thing. But, but we're parents, aren't we? Uh, I remember a, a few days ago, my daughter Lane was having a, a pretty hard morning. It was one of those mornings where I went in to wake her up and she pulled the covers back over her head. And then I had to use my dad voice after doing that for a couple of times, and she kept doing it. And there was this kind of constant struggle. She finally got out of bed. She was just having a really hard morning. She was fighting with her sisters. And I remember, uh, for whatever reason that morning, I thought, you know, this is not one of those situations where punishment's going to solve anything or really help her. And so here's what I did. I, I, I pulled her into my lap, and I held her, and I whispered in her ear, I love you, and I really want you to know joy and peace and fullness, and I just held her, and I just hugged her, and I asked her to breathe along with me, and she began to breathe, and she began to calm down. I, I was able to do that because I know her, even though maybe on the surface level, she didn't want anybody to be around her. I, I know what she needs a lot of times. Now, I'm not perfect. If I did, I would write a book and make a lot of money, right? But I know my daughter. I know what she needs. And I knew that in that moment, that's what she needed. She needed to be affirmed. She needed to be loved. She needed to, to breathe and calm down. I knew that was really important to her. You know, in, in the relationship, if, if you were able to read a book about, about me as a dad um, and, and my, adult, my oldest daughter, Lane, you would better understand that relationship. Uh, understanding who the two people are in a relationship helps us to better understand that relationship. But here's what it doesn't do necessarily. It doesn't necessarily help us understand what, what, what is the meaning of relationship. Let me say it another way. There are two people involved in this covenant. There's, there's God and there's us. And when we better understand God and ourselves, we actually can better understand covenant. We think of the marriage covenant. If you look at my wife and I, Bethany, just because you understand us doesn't mean that you understand the marriage covenant. Now, as far as we're following Christ, you do. But in our sin and our brokenness, do we always represent the, the, the marriage covenant in a healthy and good way? You see, most of the time, understanding that the two people in a relationship might not necessarily help you understand what a relationship should be. We think about toxic relationships. We think about abusive relationships. They don't necessarily point you to a healthy understanding. But in our case with God, because he is God, if we better understand who he is and who we are, we then can better understand what it means to be in this covenant with him. And so that's what we're going to do today. Simply put, he is God. We are not. So, so let's, let's camp out. First of all, he is God. We see very clearly who God is in this text. In verse 1, it says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram. Now, when we think about 
what where we are in the book of Genesis, it's it's helpful that it says after these things, well, what are these things? What are these things? God, he made some big promises back in Genesis chapter 12. And between Genesis chapter 12 that we looked at, the beginning of that last week, and in Genesis chapter 15 this week, a lot of stuff has happened. There's this whole debacle with, uh, with Abram, Abram's wife, uh, Sarai, in Egypt. A lot of sin, a lot of not trusting God. There's been this big family disagreement. There's been this big battle where Abram goes and actually saves his nephew. And so, thankfully, we read here, after these things, after all of this strife, after all of this sin, after all of this failure, after all of this family disagreement, what happened? The word of the Lord came to Abram. Now, the first thing we see here is that God is a pursuer. He is God. He is a pursuer. He pursues us. What does it look like if we want to be friends with someone? I'm, I'm hopeful today that as we look at, at, at who God is and who we are, and as we think about things uh, potentially lightening up a little bit in the places that we live, as we reconnect with people, I hope that these can be both challenging and, and, and comforting in a way. What does it look like for us to pursue people? You know, can we just hope that that we'll run into them enough where magically we'll become best friends? For people with a busy schedule, that, that sounds really great. But it, we know that it takes more than that to be friends, to build relationships with people. Relationships just don't work in, the, in this random way. Relationships don't work based on, I hope this happens. Instead, we've got to be more intentional in relationships. Maybe you connect with a person at, at church or in your local coffee shop. You ask them questions, you learn about them. We all know that just kind of that back and forth, five minute conversation. Most of our relationships are very comfortable staying there, aren't they? But to truly befriend someone, maybe you see them again the next week. Maybe you find yourself in the coffee shop two days later, ordering the same thing you did two days before. Maybe you get to a point where you exchange numbers or emails or Maybe you connect with them on LinkedIn to get to know them better. Maybe you're in the same industry. You reach out. You say, hey, thanks. It was good to see you. We're familiar with this process, aren't we? Maybe a week or two later, maybe a month later, you, you realize that you enjoy cycling together or mountain biking or hiking or maybe just going for a walk in your neighborhood. And so you get the courage and you invite them to do that. Maybe you invite them to one of your home groups, one of your small groups. This is how things grow and build. This is how relationships grow and build. There's a pursuit of relationship. And I don't know about you. I'm, I'm an extrovert. I love being around people. Um, and it's exhausting for me. <laughs> right? And, and, and I say that because I think whether we're extroverts or introverts or, or however we might classify ourselves, pursuing is hard work. It's difficult. We're going to pursue and, and people aren't going to respond. We're going to pursue and there's going to be disagreements. We're going to pursue and, and things just won't go as planned. But here's what, here what we see, even in verse 1, is that God tangibly pursues Abram. This is who God is. He comes to him. 
the word of the Lord came to him. He doesn't wait around. God doesn't wait around for Abram to say, hey, God, the last three chapters of my life have been kind of hard. No, God goes to him, and he comes to him, it says, in a vision. This is not just in theory. This is not just in the Holy Spirit kind of sparking Abram's heart to make him pray. No, he comes to Abram in a way that, that Abram can't miss him. I don't know about you guys, but, but when, when my life, when I've got all these things on my mind, and I'm dumping them in a to-do list trying to clear up space, Sometimes it's really hard for me to pray. Sometimes in, 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 in my sin, most certainly, but in my busyness and with, with all the things happening in the world, sometimes it's just hard for me to quiet my soul. I think our God understands that. He still calls us to pursue him. But how sweet is it that he pursued Abram in a way that Abram could not miss him? Who is God? He's a pursuer. What does covenant mean? It means that our God will constantly, continually pursue us. God is also a protector. I love in verse 1 where it says, uh, the, the quote of what God is saying to Abram in this vision, it says, fear not, Abram, I am your shield. That's where he starts. He appears to Abram. Maybe, maybe it felt scary in this vision. Maybe Abram was actually scared of God at that point. You know, our sin does that to us, doesn't it? Our sin and our brokenness and our failure, it, it causes us to say, can I trust this almighty God? It causes us to, to maybe even fear in our hearts in so many ways when we come to God. And so the first thing that our God says is, fear not, I am your shield. Now, this word shield, is, it, it's, a, it's a biblical symbol for protection. You can find this in other parts of, of the scriptures. And so what God is saying is, fear not. Don't, don't fear me, but also fear not. Look at all your circumstances. I'm your protection. I'm your protector. You know, I consider myself, I, guess, I don't know if it's because I grew up uh, a country boy where you're just kind of ready for anything, right? Um, or if I'm just this arrogant, but I really consider myself like a protector of my family. Um, and, and I'll share some, some interesting ways. Uh, first of all, I, I prepare. Every single night I go through kind of the same routine. Maybe you do this. I make sure the doors are locked. I make sure the outdoor, outdoor lights are on. I make sure that um, that that, that when we go out, maybe downtown, that we park in well-lit areas. I, I'm a preparer in order to protect. It's just what I want to do. I, I think about this with my family. I'm also a defender. Um, now, I, I don't walk around threatening to punch people, right, in Boise. That's not how I defend. But if I'm walking down the street, we don't have uh, sidewalks in my neighborhood, um, I, I will put the danger of a car that, that might be going too fast. I'm sure that never happens in your neighborhoods in Portland, right? Sometimes that happens here in Boise. I'll put my kids uh, towards the curb and I'll stand in between them and the car. I do the same thing with my wife. I, I do this because I, I'm a defender and it's how I can defend my family. I, I also get to know people on my street. I, I want them to know us and and I want to get to know them. And so if we're out of town, they can keep an eye on my house and vice versa. 
when I go on vacation with my family and I, I'm going to a place I've never been and I'm taking my family, I, I'll probably ask people who live there or, or people that I know who've been there, hey, what are what are you know good, safe parts of town to stay in? That's how I protect my family. And, and it's kind of all-encompassing, isn't it? And all of us in some form or fashion are protecting something. And we protect it in all types of ways. But how much more? Does our God, who, who knows the past, who knows our fears, who holds the future, how much more does he protect us? You see, if I'm honest, a lot of times the protection I want to offer my family is based out of fear. But our God's protection is based out of truth. It's based out of knowledge. It's based out of a, a deep understanding. It's based out of his providence. You know, just because God says to Abram and also to us that, that he is our shield, that he's our protector, it doesn't mean that, that bad things won't happen. Uh, a number of years ago, my, my wife and I had a miscarriage. It, it took us by surprise. We were at, at week 15. We thought we were out of the woods. It was really difficult for us. But even in this, it didn't take God by surprise. Even in our sorrow and our hurt, he was still our protector. And we believe that. And we, we've seen that to be true even in our sorrow. Our God is, is also a promised keeper, just in case you were wondering, all these begin with P, okay? Just kind of how I was raised, right? Our God's also a promise keeper. Uh, look in verse 4 and in verse 5. Let's read it again. It says this, And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir, your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. You see, Abram's in this conundrum here. God, you promised, you told me that, that I would have an heir. I would have a son and I would have many who would come after me. That I would bless this world by having children, yet I don't have one. And so another person in my family is going to have to do that. And so God kindly takes him outside and he shows him the stars. And he's like, no, 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 you are going to have an heir. He, he promises because he knows what's going to happen. God promises us salvation in Christ for all who believe. He is a promise keeper. A lot of times you'll hear people talk about our salvation in terms of past, present, and future. I think a lot of time, and rightfully so, we spend on right confessing the sins of our past, knowing that they're forgiven, being right with God now that we are saved. But when we see God, when we see this covenant as, as a relationship of promise that that will come to completion, we are able to look to the future. We're able to say that our salvation in Christ is sure, past, present, and future. That nothing can separate us from his love. That he's a promise keeper. You know, we're reminded of this in the sacrament of communion, aren't we? That God's given us this sacrament. We come from different backgrounds and different places. But in, in, in Christianity, we have communion because we are people who need more than just words. He gives us his promises so that we can see, feel, taste, and touch them. That's what's so beautiful about 
the fact that you guys are able to get back into a communion service every month and hopefully soon every week that you can see and feel and taste his promise because our God's a promise keeper. He's also a provider to us. Now, maybe you've heard, and maybe you've even said this, I don't want to offend anybody. Maybe you've heard the, 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 uh, the statement, it's, a, it's the journey, not the destination. M- maybe you've heard that before. Um, I could not disagree more with this statement. And, and I'll tell you why. Uh, because it's both, right? It's both the journey and the destination. Um, I think sometimes uh, we say it's the journey, not the destination, so that we don't forget that, that there is good in the journey. But it's both. It's the journey and it's the destination. Here, in, in verse 2 specifically, God is reminding Abram that it's the journey and the destination. And that all along the way that God is a provider for him. Look in verse 2. But Abram said, O Lord God, What will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. It's so interesting, isn't it? Because here, uh, right before this this statement of, 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 of exasperation, maybe, of confusion, right before it, God says, your reward shall be very great. We understand this both uh, in the temporary, but also eternally. Temporally, we understand that, that, that Abram did not see what God was going to do. And God's saying, hey, it's the journey. I'm a promise keeper. I'm going to provide for you. He says, your reward shall be very great. Yes, even though we're talking really thousands of years, right? The, the reward was was God blessing the world through the family of Abraham. It's going to take time, but I promise you that I'm providing for you. That's what he's telling to Abram. We see it both in a temporary way, but also in an eternal way, right? Where it says your reward shall be very great could also be read as I am your very great reward. That God is saying, Ultimately, I am Yahweh. I am your great reward, both the journey of walking through where will my family come from, but also the hope of knowing that we get all of him. Who is God in this relationship? He's a, he's a pursuer. And so as we're in covenant with him, it's a, it's a covenant that pursues us. He is protector. This covenant guards us. It shields us. This covenant is built on a sure hope because our God's a promise keeper. And this covenant, there's actually provision in it because he's a provider. That's who God is. Who are we? Well, we are not him. There was recently a book written uh, by a guy named Mike Emlett, where he talks about kind of three categories of who we are. And, and, and I'm going to steal those from him this morning because I think that they highlight from this text very well who we are. We're sufferers and we're sinners and we're saints. 
Uh, in verse one, we see that it says, after these things, we already talked about those, didn't we? The weight of war, family strife, the struggle of life. God had to tell Abram to fear not, to remind him of his protection. If, if you read the whole story of Abram, you see that he is a sufferer. We see in verse 2, where he is called to remember the promise, but he didn't see anything happen. You know, waiting can be a form of suffering for us in some ways, can it? We all suffer in one way or another. How is our life broken? Why don't we try to hide that from God? A, a God who is a promise keeper and a pursuer, a God who is a protector and a provider, why don't we try to hide our suffering from him? Why don't we try to hide our suffering from others? Let's get rid of this, this idea that, that we're the only ones that suffer and let's be united as fellow sufferers in the covenant where we can come with our brokenness and our hurt and our sorrow, and we can look to a day where there'll be no more of that. In this covenant, we are those who suffer. We're also sinners. Pointing back to verse one again, after these things, how could Abram have been feeling? He could have been feeling self-confident. He, he helped his, uh, he helped his family out. He, he helped to win a war. He could have been feeling accomplished. He, he could have been saying, hey, I've got this whole leadership thing down. It's time to go now. Let's start having kids so I can make my name great. Yet in verse 3, he says, God, you have given me no offspring. God, it's your fault. Do we say that? Maybe we actually use those words. God, it's your fault. Or maybe we say it in subtle ways. For me, it's discontent. Right? I've got this great life, and I zone in on things that I'm just a little bit discontented with. And what I'm saying in those places of my life is, God, it's your fault. Because I blame everybody but myself. Yet the gospel, the, the gospel is not correctly understood unless we understand that we're sinners. What I think is really unique about understanding, or not unique, but, but really helpful about understanding the, the fact that we are sinners is if we look from Genesis 1 to 14, it is just a litany of people making mistakes. There's a lot of hope and, and a lot of promise and a lot of beauty because of what God is doing because of his covenant with us. But, but maybe it should be even more encouraging that, that God is not letting up just because we are sinners. We're sufferers, we're sinners. And because of God pursuing me, protecting me, promising me, providing for me, we're also saints. I love how this passage ends in verse 6. And, and he, Abram, believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. It doesn't say that Abram went out and did everything right or had done everything right. It just said that he believed him, that he had faith in him. This is all because of what God's done, because the word of the Lord came to him. You know, for us, he must pursue us because we will wander away. He is too holy for me to find him. Where I would look for God 
is, is not even in the same universe as where God resides. And so he comes to us. He must protect me because my strength will fail. Even no matter how much I prepare, even no matter how much I try to care for myself and my family, when it comes to my life, he must protect me. He must keep his promises. Why? Because I won't keep mine. I will fail. He must provide relationship because I can't bear the weight of his glory. It's too heavy for me. It's too heavy for you. You know, I thought uh, I thought when I when I was telling the story of, of of my little girl Lane having the bad morning. Um, when I was originally writing the sermon, I I thought you know like I'm in the God place, like I'm the one that comes and, and comforts her and, and and look how I'm imaging God and in some ways that's beautiful and true. But really, more than that, I'm actually the little girl in that story. I'm actually my daughter who's having a hard morning in this story. I'm in desperate need of the love of my father who knows me, who knows exactly what I need, even though I fight back. And this is how God's covenant works. He perfectly keeps it in the person of Christ because we can't. And this is why Jesus had to die, even though we deserve to. And this is the beauty of God's covenant. Perhaps you guys are familiar with the Sally Lloyd-Jones book, um, the Jesus Storybook Bible. It's one of my favorite books of all time. And I figure the more I can quote it in sermons, the better preacher I'll be. But I'm going to let it have the last word. Here's what it says about God's covenant. You see, no matter what, in spite of everything, God would love his children with a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. And though they would forget him and run from him, deep in their hearts, God's children would miss him always and long for him. Lost children yearning for their home. Aren't we all lost children yearning for our home? And we find it in covenant with him. Let me pray. Uh, Father God, thank you that as a sufferer and as a sinner and as a saint, Lord, that we can come to you. Lord, we can know that you will provide and protect, that, God, that you'll keep your promises. Father, that you never stop pursuing us. Father, thank you that this is covenant and that we get to actually experience it. Lord, not just theologically know about it, Lord, but we get to tangibly experience this through the power of the Spirit because of the Son's work and life and death. And Father, because of the Father's uh, provision and providence for us. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.